0: Well, chapter 4 of the book of Revelation begins a third and the final part of this inspired outline that you have in the book, and that inspired outline is found in chapter 1, verse 19. In the first part, the Apostle John was told to write the things which you have seen, and so he did. He wrote down about that vision of the glorified Lord Jesus Christ in chapter 1. And then he was told to write down the second part of the outline, write the things which are present tense and john did so in chapters two and three in those two chapters he pinned the glorified lord's personal message to each one of seven specific churches that were chosen by him because those churches would represent conditions in churches all through the church history for example we talked about that last week you could find those like the ephesian church today around the world who are doctrinally solid, but they've left their first love. They don't love the Lord like they used to. Or like the Smyrna Church is the suffering church. And you can find churches throughout the world that are going through suffering because they belong to the Lord and so forth. And so that consumed chapters 2 and 3. And uh, you and I are presently living in this second part of the inspired outline right now, the things... Which are, and this part will end with the Lord coming back in the air, bringing with Him the spirits of the righteous made perfect, as Hebrews twelve twenty three calls them, those who have died in the Lord uh, since the day of Pentecost, when uh, the Holy Spirit came and indwelt believers permanently and placed them in the body of Christ for the very first time, and that'll go all the way up through until the time when He calls the church home. And uh, that'll happen in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. The Lord will come back in the air. It could happen before this service is over. And what would happen is those uh, spirits of the righteous made perfect would come back with him. And those elements that made up their body, only God could do this, but God can. They will be taken out of the grave or wherever they are. And they'll be united with those spirits. And they'll have glorified bodies then we who are alive and remain who belong to the Lord, we're immediately caught up as well. We get glorified bodies, and then all together we go back to up into heaven with the Lord uh, where we will be there. And uh, that's that first part here. In fact, that's when he will have fulfilled that promise that he made to the disciples, as well as to you and me, when he said, I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also." And I believe this event uh, that closes the second part of the book of Revelation's outline is called the rapture of the church, or we call it the catching away, the snatching away of the church. And last Sunday I shared with you 11 reasons why I believe and I teach that uh, this event will happen before the seven-year tribulation takes place. If you are not here and would like to have an interest in that, you can uh, go on the webpage which is on the front of the bulletin, uh, or else you can call the church office and get a copy of that message if you would like to have one uh, for why I believe that it is a pre-tribulational rapture position. Well, we come now to the third part of the inspired outline. And by the way, I'm glad that Alex chose that hymn, This is my father's world. And you're going to see great significance of that as we move now into this third part of the outline. And uh, that is where uh, in chapters 4 through 22 uh, is what covers most of the book there. And John was told to write the things which will take place after these things. After what things? Well, after the church age, this present age has been concluded. And twice John makes that clear in the first verse of chapter 4 when he writes the using the Greek preposition meta tauta, which translated means after these things. And it refers to chapters 2 and 3 that focus on those seven churches and the things which are the age that we're presently in right now. Well, this morning... We're going to join John up in heaven. Look at chapter 4, verse 1. We saw that last week, but let me reread that for you this morning. After these things, I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven, and the first voice which I had heard, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ found over there in chapter 1, like the sound of a trumpet speaking with me said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place. After these things. In this verse, the glorified Lord Jesus Christ commands John to come up into heaven. It is an aorist imperative, it's a command in the Greek language. He's commanded to come up here. But you will also notice we're told why the Lord called John up into heaven. He says, I will show you what must take place after these things. After this present church age, this age of grace has ended. What the Lord is going to reveal to John and have him write down for us is indeed a major unveiling of future events that will affect the whole world in staggering ways. So much so that it must begin in heaven where John finds himself in the throne room of the Lord God the Almighty and what he sees and hears there sets the stage for all that will follow thereafter. In your outline that's in your bulletin, we're going to begin with this, the biblical accounts of the glory of God on his throne. The biblical accounts of the glory of God on his throne. There's an importance that we do this, that you, you trace back to what does the Bible teach you about this heavenly scene. And we begin, uh, we come together this morning to worship the Lord, of course, but I'll tell you what, when you're taken and transported into heaven and using scripture, the Holy Spirit can do that for us, it makes a tremendous impact on your and my worship, as well as how we live out our lives. Gives us, by the way, great encouragement and great hope as well. And so we begin with number one, Moses' account. You don't need to turn to that one. I'm going to have you turn to some, but in Moses, the uh, verses, it's Exodus 24, 9 through 11. Exodus 24, 9 through 11. You remember God had given them the law. Mount Sinai was all afire and quaking and so forth, and there was thunder going on. And then after he gave them the law, he invited Moses and uh, uh, Aaron and Nadab and Abihu and the 70 elders of Israel to come up and meet with him. And they saw the God of Israel, and under his feet there appeared to be a pavement of sapphire, as clear as the sky itself. Yet he did not stretch out his hand against the nobles of the sons of Israel, and they saw God, and they ate and drank. That's your first introduction, by the way, to something about the glory of God on his throne, found here in Exodus 24 9 through 11 and then we have isaiah's account and you're very familiar with it but if you want to turn there that's isaiah chapter 6 and verses 1 through 4 and we have his account of god on his throne in the year of king uzziah's death i saw the lord sitting on a throne lofty and exalted with a train of his robe filling the temple seraphim stood above him each having six wings with two he covered his face and with two he covered his feet and with two he flew and one called out to another and said holy 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 is the lord of hosts the whole earth is full of his glory And the foundations of the threshing holds trembled at the voice of him who called out while the temple was filling with smoke. Quite a picture is given to you and me of God on his throne that Isaiah reveals to us in this section. I want you to turn to a rather lengthy one, and we'll be looking at that off and on uh, through the coming weeks if the Lord doesn't call us home first. But turn to Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 1, and I'm going to re- begin reading at verse 4, and read through the end of the chapter. And you might also want to write in your notes, and your outline, chapter 10, 1 through 22. Because of time, we'll not look at that. At another Sunday, we may very well do that. But this is an amazing picture. I don't know about you, but I've read it a number of times and tried to just get it in my mind. What What did Ezekiel see? And uh, just to, to get an image of that, I thought I want to take the time to go on the internet and see if anybody has drawn some pictures of this. And maybe we can put one up here at some time uh, if we don't go to heaven first and get to see it there. But look at Ezekiel and just follow along as I read this. And uh, I'm going to start with verse 4. If you don't have your Bible, you can look back here uh, behind me here, up fr- uh, behind me. As I looked, Ezekiel says, behold, a storm wind. Was coming from the north. Keep that in mind. A storm, a great cloud with fire flashing forth continually, and a bright light around it. And in its midst, something like glowing metal in the midst of a fire. Or in the midst of the fire, within it there were figures resembling four living beings, and this was their appearance. They had human form. Each of them had four faces and four wings. Their legs were straight and their feet were like a calf's hoof, and they gleamed like burnished bronze. Under their wings and on their four sides were human hands. As for the faces of the wings of the four of them, their wings touched one another. Their faces did not turn when they moved. Each went straight forward. As for the form of their faces, each had the face of a man, all four had the face of a lion on the right, and the face of a bull on the left, and all four had the face of an eagle. Such were their faces. Their wings were spread out above, each had two touching another being, and two covering their bodies. And each went straight forward wherever the Spirit was about to go, they would go without turning as they went. In the midst of the living beings, there was something like that looked like burning coals of fire, like torches darting back and forth among the living beings. The fire was bright and the lightning was flashing from the fire, and the living beings ran to and fro like bolts of lightning. Now as I looked at the living beings, behold, there was one wheel on the earth beside the living beings for each of the four of them. The appearance of the wheels and their workmanship was like sparkling burl, and all four of them had the same form, their appearance and workmanship being as if one wheel were within another. Whenever they moved, they moved in any of their four directions without turning as they moved. As for their rims, they were lofty and awesome, and the rims of all four of them were full of eyes round about. Whenever the living beings moved, the wheels moved with them. And whenever the living beings rose from the earth, the wheels rose also. Whenever the Spirit was about to go, they would go in that direction, and the wheels rose close beside them, for the Spirit of the living beings was in the wheels. Whenever those went, these went. And whenever those stood still, these stood still. And whenever those rose from the earth, the wheels rose close beside them, for the spirit of the living beings was in the wheels. Now over the heads of the living beings there was something like an expanse, like the awesome gleam of crystal spread out over their heads. Under the expanse, their wings were stretched out straight, one toward the other. Each one also had two wings covering its body on the one side and on the other. I also heard the sound of their wings like the sound of abundant waters as they went, like the voice of the Almighty, a sound of tumult like the sound of an army camp. Whenever they stood still, they dropped their wings. And there came a voice from above the expanse that was over their heads. Whenever they stood still, they dropped their wings." Now above the expanse that was over their heads, there was something resembling a throne, like Lapis Lazuli in appearance, and on that which resembled a throne, high up was a figure with the appearance of a man. Then I noticed from the appearance of his loins and upward something like glowing metal that looked like fire all around within it. And from the appearance of his loins and downward I saw something like fire, and there was radiance around him. As the appearance of the rainbow in the clouds on a rainy day, so was the appearance of the surrounding radiance. Such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell on my face and heard a voice speaking. I'm not sure what I read there. But one thing I do know, this awesome picture of the glory of God on his throne, and you sense the fire and the storm. Why? Because it was down here upon the earth, and judgment was about to fall upon Israel at this time. The Shekinah glory was going to leave the temple and leave Israel. And that's all wrapped up in that picture. We come now to another revelation in Scripture of God on His throne, and that is found in Daniel chapter 7, verses 9 through 14. Again, tie them all together. Verse 9 of Daniel 7, I kept looking, Daniel says, until thrones were set up. And the Ancient of Days took His seat. His vesture was like white snow, and the hair of His head like pure wool. His throne was ablaze with flames. Its wheels were a burning fire. A river of fire was flowing and coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands were attending to him. And myriads upon myriads were standing before him. The court sat and the books were opened. Little parentheses here. Then I kept looking because of the sound of the boastful words which the horn was speaking. I kept looking until the beast was slain and its body was destroyed and given to the burning fire. As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but an extension of life was granted to them for an appointed period of time. And now John goes right back to the vision in heaven. I kept looking in the night visions and behold... With the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming, and he came up to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed." And then we would come to the one revelation of God on his throne in the New Testament. And that, of course, is our text, Revelation chapter 4. And I'm going to start at verse 2 and just read down through verse 11. I'll not read chapter 5, but it's really 4 and 5. But follow as I read verse 2 of chapter 4 of Revelation. Immediately, John says, I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was standing in heaven, and one sitting on the throne... And he who was sitting was like a jasper stone and a jasper in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne like an emerald in appearance. Around the throne were twenty-four thrones. And upon the thrones I saw twenty-four elders sitting clothed in white garments and golden crowns on their heads. Out from the throne come flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne, there was something like a sea of glass, like crystal. And in the center and around the throne, four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. The first creature was like a lion, and the second creature like a calf. And the third creature had the face like that of a man, and the fourth creature was like that of flying ears. I'd like to remind you, this is what heaven looks like right now. And the four living creatures, each one of them having six wings, are full of eyes around and within, and day and night they do not cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God the Almighty who was and who is and who is to come. And because of your will, they existed and were created. May God bless us in the reading of his word. By the way, these two chapters, chapters 4 and 5, are a commentary, I think, on Ezekiel 1-10, 1 and 10, as well as Daniel 7, 9-14. You see, all is a picture of God on his throne. We come to the next major portion here, and that's John's description of God on his throne. Found there in chapter 4, God's description of God on his throne. First, John's focus is on the throne and the one on it. He focuses on the throne and the one on it. Throne, by the way, occurs 16 times in chapters 4 and 5. The word in the plural, thrones, occurs twice. In fact, the word throne occurs 45 times in the book of Revelation and only 15 times in the rest of the New Testament. It really is the throne book, if you please. You know, this is significant when you think about God sovereignly controlling and the final book declaring, indeed, he does. John describes the throne and the one on the throne. Notice verse 2 again. And behold, a throne was standing in heaven and one sitting on the throne. And then down in verse 3, he says, And he who was sitting was like a jasper stone, a sardius in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne, like an emerald in appearance. And then down to verse 5 and 6, Out from the throne come flashes of lightning and sound and peals of thunder. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was something like a sea of glass, like crystal, and so forth. And so he gives a quick description of what he sees about this throne and so forth. And then secondly, John beholds 24 elders upon their thrones. He describes their appearance in verse 4. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and upon the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting clothed in white garments and golden crowns on their head. And then he describes their worship in verses 9 through 11. So first he describes then... Then he describes what they're doing in worship. And when the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, to him who lives forever and ever, here, here's what happens. The 24 elders will fall down before him who sits on the throne and will worship him who lives forever and ever and will cast their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy are you. Notice it's the elders who are saying this. Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and because of your will they existed and were created this is our father's world it truly is number three john beholds four living creatures he describes their appearance there in verse six and before the throne there was something like a sea of glass like crystal and in the center And around the throne, four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind... The first creature was like a lion, and the second creature like a calf. And the third creature had a face like that of a man, and the fourth creature was like a a flying eagle. And the four living creatures, each one of them having six wings, are full of eyes around and within. You know, that's a description we read over in Ezekiel chapter 1. In chapter 10 of Ezekiel, we find these are cherubim. They are a high order of angelic beings. And then he describes what they're doing, their worship. The rest of chapter verse 8. And day and night they do not cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was, and who is, and who is to come. So that's their worship. And then we drop down number four. Job John beholds a book. As we're moving in the progression of what he sees. He beholds a book in the hand of the one on the throne. By the way. You must connect the last verse of chapter 4 with that book. You'll see that a little later on. But chapter 5, I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a book, a scroll if you please. Written inside and on the back, sealed up with seven seals. That's very significant to this heavenly picture of God on his throne, and all those who are around him, worshiping him at this particular time. And we'll see that as we move on. Number five, John beholds a lamb standing as if slain. It's chapter five. The lamb is also declared to be the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David. The lamb comes. He takes the book out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne and when he does so, all heaven, all, listen, he does that act. And all heaven immediately just bursts, it explodes into worship and praise to the Lamb. And I'm sure to the one on the throne as well. The four living creatures begin to praise God and worship Him. The 24 elders fall down and worship Him. It says myriads upon myriads and Thousands upon thousands of angels fall down and worship the Lord, the Lamb. And every created thing in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea. And all things burst forth in worship and praise to the Lamb. I want you to get the setting because this is a very, very important event that will yet take place. But get the setting. As John sees that, we're going through it in a, in a topical way. We're not, not digging down in detail at this point. And that brings us to the next movement in your outline. And most importantly here, after we've looked at that setting, the meaning of this revelation of God on His throne. The meaning. Number one, chapters four and five are the grand prelude to chapters 6 through 19. They're the grand prelude. It's not just chapters 6 through 19, but more specifically to that. We are told what's going on in heaven at God's throne before we're told what's going to take place here upon the earth. Chapters 4 and 5 are the introduction and background of the tremendous sweep of prophetic events predicted in the rest of the book. Chapter 6 through 19 unfold in detail the seven year tribulation period especially focusing on the last three and one half years called the great tribulation and it's very striking how the one on the throne is revealed to John he is described in terms of splendor and glory and light rather than stating his purpose, or person, I'm sorry. Look at verse 3 again, going back to chapter 4. And he who was sitting was like a jasper stone and sardis. He doesn't describe the person. He describes that, that glory and the, the uh, splendor that he beholds radiating out from the one sitting on that throne. And so forth. He is called, though. The Lord God, the Almighty, down in verse 8. Very important. You want to define, determine who this is. He's called the Lord God, the Almighty. By the way, not Father, not Heavenly Father, but the Lord God. Very significant for the purpose of this throne setting and the one who is seated upon it at this point. And that, he's called that by all the four living creatures, the cherubim. And we conclude it must be the first person of the Trinity who is called God the Father to us, since in chapter 5 we're introduced to the Lamb that was slain, and we know that would be the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's by deductor, or deduction we deduce that it would be God the Father. But secondly, it is most significant how God is revealed to us on his throne. He's revealed in magnificent splendor and glory. Evidently, John does not really see his person. When he placed Moses, that is, God placed Moses in the cleft of the rock and hid him from seeing him until he passed by, he said to him that no one can see God and live. Paul wrote to Timothy. He wrote, He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone dwells in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to him be glory and honor or eternal dominion. Amen. That's First Timothy 6, verses 15 and 16. It is most significant that this one on the throne is called the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. This is not a focus here on redemption. This is a focus on holiness, And this God of holiness, and whose righteousness has been spurned, and therefore those who have done so must be judged. But don't miss the description of praise and worship given to him down in verse 11. It's most revealing. This revelation of the Lord God, the Almighty, on his throne has to do with his creation and especially what's going on down here on the earth. The throne of God represents the universal sovereignty and rulership of God over all his creation, and in particular, over earth. Earth. Look again at verse 11. Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. Why? Why? For you created all things, and because of your will they existed and were created. Now number three. Number three. The storm effect. The storm effect coming out from the throne explain the main purpose for this throne room setting. It says there in verse 5 of chapter 4, out from the throne come flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder. You might recall in Ezekiel, he saw that river of fire and the storm as well. It's like looking far out at a storm that's Build up and is coming your way. He saw that in Ezekiel chapter 1. Daniel saw it over in chapter 7, and we'll see that a little bit later on as well. The storm effect coming out from the throne explains the main purpose for this throne room setting. You see, folks, the day of God's grace has now come to an end. At this point, when this event takes place... God's grace has run out. I do not mean by that that no one gets saved after this event. That's not true. But he says, "I, uh, you know, we wait We wait for God to move in action. Many and many a prayer has gone out. Lord, please come and deliver me. Come and make things right. And we wonder, well, why is God silent? Why is the heaven silent? And God says, listen, there will come a day. Believe me, there is coming a day in my schedule. I indeed will come. The day of grace at this point has now run out. Out, It's ended. The day of grace is over at this point, if you please. The day when God purposely delayed moving in fiery wrath and judgment and the world thought he never would. Upon rebellious mankind has now... Come to an end for over 2,000 years, and really more than that, man has, has, uh, for the most part, continued to rebel against God, mock his righteous standards, thinking they were seemingly free to do just as they pleased, and there would never come this day of reckoning, but God's grace has now run out and the lightning and the sounds and the peals of thunder coming forth from the Lord God, the Almighty's throne, this one who is worthy to receive glory and honor and power because He has created all things and all things were created for Him. And because of their, their, His will, they existed and were created, will now step in and pour out His wrath upon sinful mankind. That's why you have chapters 4 and 5 in your Bible of the book of Revelation. J.B. Smith says, The throne was a special one set or placed in heaven ostensibly for the purpose of executing the judgments of the tribulation period following. His anger will now be poured out as a reaction of his holy nature in view of the prevailing sinfulness of man and in consequence of which he is about to send judgment upon the earth that the inhabitants of the world will learn righteousness. Amen? As Daniel account says, the court sat and the books were open. This is the court scene. This is not a throne of grace, dear ones, that we come to now in prayer. This is a throne of judgment and the outpouring of God's wrath. When the the focus is back on earth during the seven-year tribulation period, here's what we read. Follow along with a quick little journey about that. Chapter 6, verses 16 and 17. And they said to the mountains and to the rocks, this is after the sixth Seal judgment is poured out. All mankind here upon the earth, tomorrow's news if you please. They said to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne. And from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come. And who is able to stand? Look over at chapter 11. And verse 18. Let me get, draw back to verse 70. Uh, we give you thanks, O Lord God, the Almighty, who are and who were, because you have taken your great power and have begun to reign. And the nations were enraged, and your wrath came, and the time came for the dead to be judged, and the time to reward your bond servants, the prophets and the saints, and those who fear your, name, fear your name, the small and the great, and to destroy those who destroy the earth. Turn to chapter 14, verses 9 and 10. Then another angel, a third one, followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast, that's the Antichrist, and his image... And receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he also will drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is mixed in full strength in the cup of his anger. And he will be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. Chapter 15, verse 1. Then I saw another sign in heaven great and marvelous 7 angels who are set w- who had the 7 plagues which are the last because in them the wrath of God is finished. Look at verses 7 and 8 of that same chapter then one of the four living creatures gave to the 7 angels 7 bowls Full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no one was able to enter the temple until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. Dear ones, this is why you have the setting in Revelation 4 and 5. That God on his throne there in heaven. Chapter 16, verse 1. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, Go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. Down in verse 19. The great city, that's Jerusalem, was split into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. Babylon the great was remembered before God to give her the cup of the wine of his fierce Wrath, And one last one before the Lord comes back, or when He comes back, chapter 19, verse 15. From His mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it He may strike down the nations, and He will rule them with a rod of iron, and He treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty. There you have His label again, God The Almighty. This is why, dear ones, this setting you're introduced to and John is introduced to there in chapters four and five in the book of Revelation. Number four in your outline, the event on earth that brought about this revelation of God on his throne. The event. Something happened. Something's been happening and something very big is going to happen that brings this about. And I want you to go back to the book of Daniel at this time. Daniel chapter 7. Daniel has this vision of these four ferocious beasts that represent world powers. The first was like a lion and had the wings of an eagle. And we know because it says that was Babylon, the world power of Babylon that came on the scene. Then he sees this second beast. It resembles a bear raised up on one side. And we're told that's Medo-Persia, which will follow Babylon. And then the third was like a leopard, which had on its back four wings of a bird. Uh, The beast also had four heads. And this represents Greece. And then there was this fourth one, dreadful and terrifying and extremely strong and had large iron teeth. And we know that to be Rome. But then Daniel beholds this last beast had ten horns and a little horn that came up among them that possessed eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth uttering great boasts. Look at verses 7 and 8. Daniel 7. After this, he said, he kept looking in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrifying and extremely strong, and it had large iron teeth. It devoured and crushed and trampled down the remainder with its feet. And it was different from all the beasts that were before it and had ten horns. While I was con- contemplating the horns, behold, another horn, a little one, came up among them, and three of the first horns were pulled out by the roots before it. And behold, this horn possessed eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth uttering great boasts. Drop down to the middle of that presentation of God on His throne again to verses 11 and 12. He says, Then I kept looking because of the sound of the boastful words which the horn was speaking. I kept looking until the beast was slain and its body was destroyed and given to the burning fire. As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but an extension of life was granted to them for an appointed period of time. What, he's, what he is conveying to us, what he saw, are the world powers all through history. And the last one, and that little horn, is the Antichrist. And he's making boasts. It's amazing how man does that. Totally ignoring God. Pushing God out and saying, I'm in control. I'm in power. I'll do as I please. I'll control the world. Of course, this is Satan's last hour. And that's what you're being introduced here in this setting. And what you see in Revelation 4 and 5. Before you view what's taking place here upon the earth. Or going to take place at that time during that seven year tribulation Period. John Woodcomb writes, in verses 7 and 8, we see the frightful fourth beast with its blasphemous little horn. This is the devil at his worst. Then with hardly a word of transition, the reader is hurried into the third heaven, into the very presence of God where everything is under His absolute sovereign control. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Then He will speak uh, under, unto them in his anger and terrify them in his fury. The only possible outcome of this confrontation in a God-centered centered moral universe is utter and final divine judgment on every form of rebellion and wickedness. End of quote. Daniel describes God now on his throne. That's what's taking place. This blasphemous person who is under Satan's control, controlling the world, blaspheming. No wonder you read in the last verse of chapter 4 about God is the creator and it's all for him and through him and to him. No wonder you read in the chapter 5 verse 1 about the little book and the significance of that book, which you'll see in a minute. This one now is blaspheming. Satan is now in control of the world and God says, I've had enough. I love it. I've had enough. Daniel says, I kept looking, verse 9, until the thrones were set up and the ancient of days took his seat. He describes him, his vesture was like white snow and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was ablaze with flames, its wheels were burning fire. Remember, this is not a throne of grace, this is a throne of judgment, of wrath. A river of fire was flowing and coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands and were attending him, and myriads upon myriads were standing before him. And you saw that in chapters 4 and chapter 5 of the book of Revelation. And I love this. Don't miss it. The court sat. This is a court scene. And God is the judge. And then verse 13. By the way, J. Vernon McGee says while God is setting the judgment seat in heaven to determine who will enter the kingdom on earth, or the kingdom on earth, the little horn is blaspheming and boasting the loudest. However, his judgment is fixed, and his kingdom is doomed. I recall reading several times in my Bible that God said He would give the kingdoms to who? His son. His son. And here it is verse 13 while this court is set the blasphemous one the antichrist is mocking and blaspheming on the earth Satan's hour has come verse 13 I kept looking in the night visions and behold with the clouds of heaven one like a son of man was coming and he came up to the ancient of days and was presented before him that's chapter 5 of Revelation and to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve Him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away, and His kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. And that brings us to the fifth point in our outline, the presentation of the Son of Man to the one on that throne. The presentation that you saw here, One like the Son of Man was coming, and he came up to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And, of course, to him this one on the throne gave the kingdom, the dominion, and the peoples forever. Turn back to Revelation chapter 5 now this time. And you see the very same thing put in different words. In verses 1 and following, I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a book. You see, this is a throne of judgment. The court has sat. The judge is on his throne, attended by myriads upon myriads of angelic beings. I believe that we are there as well, glorified. But it's an issue that he is the creator, and he's Lord God the Almighty. And the earth is his. No man... No angelic being, no demon will take it out of his hands. He will accomplish his purpose. And listen, dear ones, at this point, God says, I have had enough. Now I will step in and I will judge and take back that which Adam lost back there in the Garden of Eden. And so here's this book, this scroll, and it's a title deed to the earth. Who's to whom does it belong? This Antichrist says it belongs to me. Satan says it belongs to me, and it's all playing out here upon the earth. And it says, this soul that was scrolled, this book that was written on the inside and on the back, sealed up with seven seals, and I saw a strong angel proclaim with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the book and to break its seals? And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the book and to look into it. Then I began to weep. Greatly, because no one was found worthy to open the book or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, "Stop weeping. Behold, the Lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root and David, has come, overcome, so as to open the book and its seals. And you know the rest of the story. He comes up and he takes that scroll out of the hand of the one sitting on that throne. And then in chapter six, he begins to break those seals, and the judgments begin to fall." upon those here upon the earth. He begins to reclaim back that which Adam lost to Satan. And as he does so, the end will come suddenly, supernaturally, and spectacularly. He will smash the kingdoms of this world, and they will become like chaff from the summer threshing floors, carried away by by the wind so that not a trace of them will be found. He will then reign over the whole earth in absolute power and righteousness as Lord of lords and King of kings. I love Psalm 97. Verses 2 and 3, and it certainly fits this scene, this heavenly scene here in Revelation 4 and 5. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. Fire goes before him and burns up his adversaries around about. That's what this scene is all about. Does not your heart cry with mine, along with Isaiah the prophet, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. That the mountains might quake at your presence as fire kindles the brushwood, as fire causes water to boil. To make your name known to your adversaries, that the nations may tremble in your presence. And like John closes the book, even so come quickly Lord Jesus. Now that's the picture you have there in chapters 4 and 5. An event. Yet to take place. It's interesting how the world and sometimes Christians fall into the same trap, uh, thinking because well, God does not act, He never will. It just sort of all, you know, worked out in the whatever way it's going to be. And God says, "No, there's coming a point when my grace will have run out." Today is a day of grace. I marvel about God's grace. First of all, it saved me. But today is the day of grace when he's still calling people from all over the world that they can put their faith in his son and be saved from this terrible day here and the eternal damnation that follows that. And yet I find when places like America where people have got many, many opportunities from uh, from uh, churches, from uh, written copies of the Bible to uh, television, and radio programs and CDs and on and on you go, so many people are becoming more and more hardened. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Dear one, if you're here this morning, and I hope you are, because I love to have the church filled with people come in and say, I I need to be saved. I want to know how. What do you say? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. It's not a long process. It's a matter of you trusting Him, putting your trust in Him. That if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that means He's God. And believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead. What? Thou shalt be saved. Saved right now, the moment you believe. But as many as received Him, to them gave He the right to become the children of God, even to those who believe in His name. And most of you, I know, have done that. But maybe you're here and you've not done that. Listen, this day is real. This day, I think, is very, very near when the court will be set. We're so close to that day. I know God's people more and more are saying, Lord, come on, come on, come and take us out of here and, and uh, come and claim reclaim this earth which is rightfully yours. I want to encourage you, if you've not done that, that you put your faith in Him. Let me close with this as we go to the communion table this morning. We've looked already, we've been in the throne room of the God, the Lord God, the Almighty. But look at chapter 5. As we come to the communion table and those elements that represent what He did for us, I think of what he said, he would not take of those elements until he does so anew with us in his kingdom. Isn't that beautiful? He's going to do it. He's going to do it. But look at verses 11 through 13 of chapter 5 as we prepare our hearts for the communion table. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne. And the living creatures and the elders and the number of them were myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing." And every created thing which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and on the sea and all things in them I heard saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. Let that be your heart's cry and praise and worship as you take these elements that represent what he has done to make you his, to deliver you from this terrible hour of judgment and that of eternal damnation. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. I feel like I'm so inadequate to be able to tell and explain this heavenly scene. But one thing about it, Father, I do see that this day is going to come and the court will be set. The world that's out of control and vast uh, mankind that... Pays no regard to you, they don't understand this is my father's world. And he has given it to his son, and he will give it to you, Lord Jesus Christ. And you will come back and you will reclaim that which Adam lost. But right now, Satan's the one in control. And more and more, we see his evils as he controls the world. And Father, we just pray that your people will rise up and do great exploits. If there was ever a time where we need to purify our hearts, Father, and live for you, it's now. When we look at the scriptures, let your word purify us. Let it have its effect in our heart and life that we really will live fully and completely for your glory. And Father, for anyone who might be here who is not saved, I just pray, would you, Holy Spirit, open up their mind to heart? May they even now say, Jesus Christ, I am a sinner. If I died in this condition or you came back, I would be lost. I'd end up in hell. I do not want to do that. I want to know the joy of salvation. I want to know complete forgiveness to be washed whiter than snow i want to know that i have been born into your family and i have eternal life that you now are my heavenly father and jesus you're my lord and savior i believe that what you did at the cross you bore my sin mine all of it you bore my deserved wrath and judgment And I'm going to put my faith in you. Come into my heart. Because God, you raised your son up from the dead. And now he can come and live in my heart. I want him there. I want to be born into your family. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus. Father, anyone who prays that prayer, I know if it's sincere, you always do that. (laughs) Their eternal destiny is forever changed. They belong to you. They are clothed with your Son's righteousness. Your Holy Spirit, God, the third person of the Trinity, now lives within them. Oh, Father, help them to settle that issue and pray that prayer, and then share, I became a Christian today. I am one of God's children. Help them to do that, I pray. And help us as we take these elements. Father, we're all unworthy, but to do it because of your Son, with a purpose to live for Him for the rest of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.